Good morning, everyone. It is really good to see. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is in the New Testament if you're new to your Bible. Um, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hold the donkey while I get on. Then uh, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It'll come in handy if uh, you need to find your Bible verses in a hurry. Are you in Ephesians yet? Uh, Ephesians, we're going to be mainly in chapter 3, but we're going to start off in chapter 1. And I'm going to start off this morning by praying for us, by praying. We're going to steal a prayer this morning from the Apostle Paul, starting in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Let's pray this prayer for ourselves today. I pray also that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that this morning we would know the hope to which God has called us and the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God, may that be our experience this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts. Give us a fresh realization of your power for us who believe. Would you cause us to see Christ afresh this morning? Would you encourage us? Would you set our hearts ablaze for you? Would you give us a vision for what you are doing in this great city of Birmingham, in our own lives, right across this nation? So come upon us. Pour out your spirit, we pray. And everyone at the west side of Church Central Birmingham said? Amen. Fantastic. I have just come back from Paris. My wife and I, Tash, were celebrating our 10th uh, wedding anniversary. And uh, we had a great few days, and uh, we saw a lot of the sites of Paris. One of those sites that we saw was built in the 1800s, and it was made for an exposition in the city of Paris, a kind of big fair kind of deal. And uh, when it was built, the citizens of Paris called it a monstrosity, whatever the French word for that is and demanded that it be torn down straight after the exposition. But the uh, designer, the architect, the engineer behind the tower uh, defended it, and he said, no, we can this, uh, please look after this. And he spoke well of it, and he did what he could to uh, convince people not to tear it down. And uh, those of you who know the story will know that that monument is actually the Eiffel Tower. It was put up by Alexander Gustav in 1889, and uh, it was supposed to be torn down. And uh, he believed in the structure that he had built, be believing that it was destined for greatness. And that's comparable to what Jesus Christ has done for his church. And uh, what I want to talk about this morning, being at Church Central, I thought it would be good to preach a message titled, The Church Really Is Central. And uh, we're going to be looking from Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know where the name of this church came from. I wouldn't be surprised if it was from the passage we've just read. 
But in the message translation, a guy called Eugene Peterson, he wrote a, a paraphrase of the Bible uh, called The Message. And uh, this is the way he puts Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. He says that at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Here's the important bit. He says the church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. It's true for our lives, it's true for this nation. The church is not peripheral to the world. It's not something that happens on the edge of society. They get to speak into things when people, you know, what, 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 what do we think about, what do we think about same-sex marriage? Well, let's see what the people think. And then once we've heard what everyone's thought and basically decided, we may ask the church what they think. And oh, that's not too important. That's not the way the Bible sees the church. The church is not peripheral to the world. Actually, if you look at the reality of Ephesians, it's the world that is peripheral to the church. The church really is central. Jump with me from Ephesians chapter 1 to Ephesians chapter 3. That's just by way of introduction, but now we're going to get into the meat of this morning. Our focus will be on Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, but we're going to start from reading Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, where the Apostle Paul writes, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things, but his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone is watching you right now. And it's not just me. Who is watching you? According to this Bible verse, we are being watched by rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The Bible says they are watching the church. And when you hear the word church this morning, I want you to think of the worldwide church made up of local churches just like Church Central Birmingham. And the Bible says that someone is watching the church. Someone is watching what is happening in Church Central Birmingham. Who is watching? It's rulers and authorities. That's a phrase that refers to the angels who live in the very presence of God. The Bible says they are watching the church. And when these angels are watching the church, Martin Lloyd-Jones, great Welsh preacher, he says that this means... Have you got the handouts out yet? Could you hand them out if they haven't been handed out? May I have one so I can make sure you can follow along. We've got some great quotes, and um, I'm not very smart, so I got some smarter guys than me, and uh, just wrote down what they said about this. First quote in the left, underneath the mugshot at the top. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, What is happening in the church is so stupendous, so glorious, that even the bright angelic beings who have spent their entire existence in the presence of God, even they are staggered and amazed at what they see in and through the church. So the angels are watching you and I, and they see something pretty amazing. What do they see? Verse 10 tells us, it introduces a really cool word. It talks about 
the manifold wisdom of God. The word manifold is a great word. It comes from the same word that is used in the Old Testament to describe the... Have you heard of Joseph and his amazing? Technicolor dream code. That word technicolor is the same word that uh, we get the word manifold from in the New Testament. It talks about this multicoloredness. And the Bible says that there's such a thing as the manifold wisdom of God. It describes the multicolored wisdom of God. So there's the wisdom of God, and then there's the manifold or multicolored wisdom of God. The angels have seen the wisdom of God before. They were there when they saw him speak into chaos and confusion and nothingness and say, God said, let there be light. Can you imagine it? Whoosh, there is light. God says, let's separate the land from the sea. Land and sea separate. The angels saw that. They saw the wisdom of God. They saw God take his people out of the nation of Egypt, carry them through the Red Sea on dry land. And in that same sea, deal with their enemies, Pharaoh and his armies. They saw that and they went, wow, this is a God who can wipe out a superpower with his wisdom. These angels, these rulers and authorities have seen all of this. They've seen the wisdom of God. But when the angels look down at the church, they don't just see the wisdom of God. They see the multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God. Do you know, uh, does anyone know what this is? It's a camera. It's not just a camera. It is a digital camera. And you know, we didn't always have digital cameras. Did you know that? What used to happen, what used to happen is um, when cameras first came out, I need a, can I borrow your thing? When cameras first came out, they weren't as snazzy as this. When cameras first came out, you may have seen this. What they did was they had someone with a tripod and a great big box. Have you seen those? And then what the photographer would do is he uh, had a black cloth and he'd put himself under that cloth and everyone would have to stand really still for the photo. And then he'd take that photo and having taken that photo, he'd go away and develop it where it needs developing. And when it's been developed, people would gather around and say, look at this cutting edge technology. We've never seen anything like this. And they're looking at these black and white photos and thinking, this is amazing. Look at the wisdom of man. But they figured out soon after that, that actually what you can do is you can take not just one picture, but a whole lot of these pictures and show them really fast one after the other. And now you've not got not just pictures, you've got moving pictures. And you remember this was the age where Charlie Chaplin would be doing what only Charlie Chaplin can do. But then someone else said, you know, it's not just that. But what you can do is to these moving pictures, you can add sound to these moving pictures so that you get these movies. And then they said, oh, wow, but not just that, you can do it in color. And this thing has just grown and grown and grown so that now, don't just have black and white photos. We've got plasma TV. Big screen, high definition, surround sound, a kind of total IMAX experience. And people aren't as impressed by the old black and white photos anymore. Or what this verse is saying about the manifold, multicolored wisdom of God. 
is that God in the Old Testament was wowing the angels. He was blowing them away with the creation and the redemption of his people Israel. But all of that, the Bible says it's like these angels were looking at black and white, faded, still photographs of the wisdom of the living God. But only his intent was that now, through the church, the multicolored wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The wisdom of God, now no longer faded photographs, but the wisdom of God in big screen, high definition, living color, surround sound IMAX experience of the wisdom multicolored of God is where? In the local church. That's what the angels see when they look down at gatherings like this. Just like the sun shines on the earth, this verse pictures the wisdom of God shining on the earth. We're in a school now, so some of you will remember that if you get white light, hits a prism, the white light becomes... Okay, maybe the English schools are not as good as the Zimbabwean schools. <laughs> Try that one more time. White light, hits a prism... Out the other side comes. Well done. <laughs> Just like the sun shines on the earth, this verse pictures the wisdom of God shining on the earth as this intense, pure, white light as the wis- of the wisdom of God. And it hits the church and it breaks out into the colors of the rainbow. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the angels see through the church that God's wisdom is greater than they had ever imagined, that it is more varied, that there are tints and colors in it of which they have never been aware. He He concludes with the second quote in your handout. As members of the body of Christ, we are the most wonderful phenomenon in the universe, the most amazing thing that God has ever done, The church is the brightest shining of the wisdom of God. I don't know about you, but that excites me. You think now, I was just coming to the west side of Church Central Birmingham. True, but even truer to say, I was coming this morning to the brightest shining of the wisdom of God bigger than the Olympics, bigger than the United States of America, bigger than China. You know, John Piper says that the United States of America compares to the church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. And you're a part of that. How do we respond to this? We respond in two ways. We respond with the real concern for the church and a radical commitment to the church. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28, you can turn there if you're quick, but there the Apostle Paul talks about his concern for the churches. Paul cared about the churches he was involved with. I want to ask you, are you concerned about your church? When your church is cut, do you bleed? When your church is giving towards something, do you sacrifice and go without Are you concerned? If you've seen the church the way God sees the church, there's no other way that you can live. 
Church Central Birmingham care about your church. We respond with a concern for the church. We respond with the commitment to the church. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. How do we respond to this? This realization that the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. The church really is central. The church is the brightest shining of the wisdom of God. It is the most phenomenal thing that God has ever done. We respond with a concern for the church. We respond with a commitment to the church. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 15, the Apostle Paul said to one church, I love this, so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. Isn't that fantastic commitment? The Apostle Paul says, listen, you can take everything I have, but when you've taken everything I have, my giving will not stop because I'm happy to give of myself as well. When you see the beauty and glory of the church, it draws us out of casual commit involvement in our churches. It draws us into a radical commitment to our, to our church. I know you're involved. That's why you're here today. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you're committed. Regular attendance does not equal committed. Involvement does not equal committed. Some of you may have heard the story of the chicken and the pig who are best friends. Have you heard the story? I'll tell it to you. True story. Chicken and the pig were best friends. Okay, maybe not true. I don't know. <laughs> I heard it. Chicken and pig were best friends and they live with a farmer. This farmer is very, very good to them. He loves the chicken. He loves the pig. He's looked after them since they were just a piglet and an egg. And this Farmer has looked after and brought up the chicken and the pig. And one day the chicken and the pig are talking and chicken says to pig, pig, the farmer's been so good to us, we need to do something nice for the farmer. It's his birthday tomorrow. We've got to come up with a plan. Pig says to him, listen, chicken, we're just poor farm animals. We don't have a penny between us. How are we going to do anything for the farmer? So chicken says back to pig, well, we've still got a few hours so we can take some time to think about it. Chicken and pig go about their day. Towards the end of the day, chicken comes back to pig and says, pig, I've got it. We are going to give the farmer the best present he could ever have and it's not going to cost us a cent. Pig says, tell me more. Chicken says, we're going to give him breakfast in bed and it's going to be bacon and eggs. Now, for those of you still wondering what that's about, in that plan, that plan calls for the involvement of the chicken who provides the eggs, but it calls for the commitment of the pig who provides the bacon. And God is not calling us to be involved in what's going on in the greatest shining of the wisdom of God. He's calling us to be committed. How committed is committed enough? Well, let's look at the founder of the church, Jesus Christ. He's the standard for our commitment 
to the church. He loved himself. He, he loved the church and gave himself for her. Some people say, do, do I need to give money to the church? How much money do I need to give? And sometimes some churches answer, I don't know what this church believes about money, by the way, I was not asked I wasn't asked to stand up and talk about money, but some churches say, well, maybe 10% is a, good, is, a, is, a good, is a good bar, a good starting point, and people say, 10%? Oh, everything I earn. Brothers, sisters, friends, visitors, Jesus Christ did not tithe his blood for the church. He said, you can take it all. Is that your attitude to Jesus? Because if that's your attitude to, to Jesus, it will be your attitude to the church as well. The Bible makes it so clear the two are inseparable. The church is the body and Jesus is the head. Rick Warren says you can't say, you can't say to someone, you know, I like you but I hate your liver. That's strange. We can't say I love Jesus and I'm not so excited about the church though. It's got some funny people in it. Don't agree with everything that, that we're doing right now. And so I'm, no, no. The Bible makes the two inseparable. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, he got this burned into his psyche when he was on the way to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus. He sees a light shining brighter than the noonday sun. It falls from his horse. He's on his way to persecute Christians and the voice, the voice of Jesus, speaks to him out of this brilliant light and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, what you do to the church is what you do to Jesus. The way you treat the church is the way you treat Jesus in biblical thinking. If you want an average church or an average group of believers, you can make do with an average passion and an average commitment and an average heart. But if you want an extraordinary church, it's going to take an extraordinary passion, an extraordinary heart, and an extraordinary commitment. Look for opportunities to display an extraordinary commitment. I want to invite you to make three decisions this morning. Decision number one is, are you going to be a spectator or a participator? You've got to decide. We won't do show of hands, but let me tell you about the difference between a spectator and a participator. There are 206 bones in the human body. There are four kinds of bones in any group of, group of people. The first kind of bone is the wishbone. That's those who wish that someone would do something about the problem. The second kind of bone is the jawbone. Those who talk and don't do much else. The third kind of bone is the knuckle bone. That's those who knock everything. <laughs> the fourth kind of bone is the backbone. Those who carry the load and do most of the work. Which one are you? Wishbone, jawbone, knucklebone, backbone.
And what evidence do you have for what you say? Spectator, participator, in Church Central 2014-2015. And what evidence do you have? Whatever answer you're giving. First decision, spectator, participator. Second decision, consumer or contributor. Is Church Central where you come to consume, you come to enjoy the worship, Worship was great this morning. I love that. Ancient of days. Brilliant. But do you come here to consume? Do you come here to enjoy the worship, listen to the preach, soak up the atmosphere, and then go back to life as normal? Or is Church Central a place where you are investing relationally, investing your heart, investing your time, investing your life? And lastly, are you involved or committed? Spectator, participant, Consumer, contributor, involved or committed. Jesus Christ is not just involved in Church Central, he is committed. Christ isn't just involved in your salvation, he is committed. Many of you have been involved at Church Central. But it's time to take our commitments to a whole new level in what God has called this church to. I want us to drill into one more bit of scripture and then we're going to wrap up for this morning. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The church, not just church central, but the church, local churches around the world, are glorious because Jesus Christ is our head. Every local church is called to be absolutely glorious. Church Central is called to be glorious in Birmingham. But every local church is also called to be not just glorious, but victorious. Colossians 1 verse 15 to 18 is just talking about Jesus. He says he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Things you can see and things you can't see. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. This is Jesus and he is the head of the body. Remember the two are inseparable, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The church isn't just glorious, it's victorious because Jesus Christ is our head. The Bible talks about two heads of two races. The first head is a man called Adam who was married to Eve. Adam and Eve were put in the garden and they were representatives of all mankind including you and I. We are sons of Adam or daughters of Eve. And the Bible teaches that Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden. And because they were the representative heads of the human race, when they fell in the garden, the Bible says that all mankind fell in Adam. But the Bible teaches that there's a second Adam. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible says in the book of Romans that just as in Adam all fell, including you and I, every person who can hear the sound of my voice, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Adam all fell. The Bible says how much more in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, will all be made alive. John Stott says in the third quote on your notes, the work of Christ will be seen to be much more effective than the work of Adam. Christ will raise to life many more than Adam will drag to death. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, listen to this, there'll be more people in heaven than in hell because in all things Christ must have the supremacy. You thought about that? In all things, Christ will be supreme. That means in Birmingham, which is part of all things, by the way, Christ will be supreme. What does that look like? Well, John Stott and Charles Spurgeon, not just the guy from Zimbabwe, they're challenging us to believe that there'll be more people in heaven than in hell because in all things, Christ must have the supremacy. The church will be victorious in its mission to bring the world to Christ because in all things, Christ will be supreme. This is at the very heart of our Christian faith. God promised to Abraham that his seed would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the beach, as the dust on the earth. This refers, of course, to the the fourth quote in your notes. John Stott puts it better than I could ever put it. He says that we are also persuaded that God will fulfill his promise to make Abraham's seed as numerous as stars in the sky, dust of the earth, sand on the shore. This refers, of course, to his spiritual family, and that includes all who believe. You heard the song, you may have sung it when you were young, you might have. Father Abraham had many sons. Do you know that song? If you know it, you've got to sing it with me. (laughs) Father Abraham... Many sons had. You've been singing that since you were young, many of you, but you've got to believe that in your heart that we are the children of Abraham through faith, and the descendants of Abraham will be more numerous than the stars that we can count. What does that mean for Church Central in Birmingham? What does that mean for your life group or small group? What does it mean for the West Congregation, the West site of Church Central, Birmingham? Abraham is our father now, not Adam, and Abraham's children will far outnumber Adam's. For when the redeemed are all gathered before God's throne, there will be a great multitude that no one could count from all the world's nations, peoples, and languages. This expectation, says John Stott, should be a great spur to world evangelization. For God's promise assures us that the church's mission will be attended by great blessing. Church Central's mission will be attended by great blessing. Why? Because Jonathan Bell is good looking. He is good looking, but that's not the reason. Because Russ is such a nice guy and he's got a good looking wife. No, 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 that's true, but that is not the reason. 
The reason that our, we expect the blessing of God to be upon Church Central's mission is because we are caught up in something bigger than you that began before you and will last after you, and that is God's promise that He will have a people as numerous as the stars in the sky, a multitude from every nation, tribe, and tongue that no man will be able to number. Surely Birmingham has a part in that. We're standing on the promises of Scripture. So we're part of a glorious church that God is building and a part of a victorious church that He's building. And from Scripture, we see this to be a church, listen to this, that is victorious through both life and death. Oh, I pray that these truths would take root in your heart because if your heart gets a hold of the fact afresh this morning that the church is the brightest shining of the wisdom of God, the most phenomenal thing God has ever done, it'll transform your life. You cannot be the same again. If your heart gets hold of the fact afresh this morning that our mission will be attended by great blessing and that there'll be more people in heaven than in hell because in all things Christ must have the supremacy It'll change the way you view yourself. It'll change the way you view church life. Help us, Jesus. If you get a hold of the fact this morning that the church is a people who are victorious through both life and death, you will never be the same again. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does this mean? The Bible talks about the last enemy being death. Jesus died on a cross and went through death for us. And because of what Jesus did, we can view even our last and greatest enemy, death, we can view death differently. And some of you might be captive to the fear of death this morning. God can set you free through his word. And when the fear of death goes, other fears go as well. I love the story that's told of the servant who uh, worked for a master and he and his master were walking through the bullring one day. And as they walk through the bullring, the servant looks up and he sees death personified walking through the crowds. And death looks straight at the servant and gives him a menacing look. The servant knows exactly what this means. And he runs back to his master. And he says to his boss, Boss, I was just walking through the bullring and I saw death and death gave me a menacing look, meaning he wants to take me. Please, I've served you faithfully for years. Can I borrow your sports car? And can I, can I take your sports car? And if I drive as fast as I can, I think that I could be in Central Europe by tomorrow. And the master says to him, well, you've served me faithfully. 
don't want you to die. So you can have my car. Servant takes the car and drives off through the Channel Tunnel into Central Europe as fast as he can. Servant was so scared that he forgot to do what the master had sent him to do in the bull ring, so the master goes through the bull ring himself and he sees death as well. And the master walks over to death and he says, Death, why did you give my servant a menacing look today? And death says, Ha, huh, it wasn't a menacing look. It was a look of surprise. You see, I've got an appointment with your servant tomorrow in Central Europe, so I was surprised to see him in Birmingham here today. <laughs> the moral of that story is that death is not something that we can escape, but death is something that has been conquered, and therefore, even through death, the Bible says, we can be more than conquerors. How cool is that? Not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. I think that's pretty cool. The Bible says, through all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, who loved us enough to go through death and to carry us through death when our time comes. I'm going to let the great English preacher Spurgeon have the last word, which is on the back of your notes. The church is a people who are the brightest shining of the wisdom of God, the greatest thing that God has ever done. Not just that, but we are a people who will be victorious in the mission God has given us, and that includes Church Central in Birmingham. Last but by no means least, we together are a people who will be, as the church, victorious in life and in death, more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Over to you. Mr. Spurgeon, he says that death, that great enemy, death, is the end of dying. Are you a believer this morning? It's an important question because if you are a believer, the day a believer dies, dying is done with forever. The saints who are with God will never die again. Life is wrestling. And struggling, but death is the end of conflict. Death is rest and victory. Life is full of sinning, but blessed be God, death is the end of that. No transgression or iniquity will follow us to heaven. Life is longing, sighing, crying, wasting away, and desiring. Heaven is enjoying, possessing, and delighting oneself in God. Life is failure, disappointment, and regret. These emotions are over when death comes, for glory dawns with satisfaction and intense contentment. The day of our death, listen to this, all you who suffer from sickness, the day of our death will be the day of our cure. There are some diseases that will probably never be healed until the last physician comes. Then, with one gentle touch of his hand, we will be healed forever. All infirmity, 
and all sickness will vanish in our last hour. Blind sister, you will receive your eyes. You who lost your hearing will hear the songs of angels. You who limp will dance. You will have no infirmity. Death cures the ills of old age. Our death day will be the loss of all losses. Life is made up of losses, but death loses losses. Life is full of crosses, but death is the cross that brings crosses to an end. Death is the beginning of our best days. So we stand together. I don't know about you, but I feel like worshipping. I feel like responding to God. So as the band gets ready, you know, the book of Acts talks about how the church would sometimes raise their voices in one accord, praying out loud to the living God. I wonder whether you'd like to do that right now. Just begin to respond to these truths. Why don't you thank God that he's included you in his church? If you're not a believer, you can even be thanking God that he welcomes you to be a part of his people. Just right now, why don't we lift our voices to the living God <coughs> together, and then we're going to sing and worship to this one who's conquered death for us. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the victory we have in you. Thank you that I am more than a conqueror through you who love me. Thank you, God, for including me in the greatest thing that you have ever done, the church of the living God. Thank you for faith that comes as we meditate on the fact that you will be victorious and have the supremacy in all things. Oh, God, we love you. We love your church. God, help us to be more committed to you. Help us to mirror your commitment. Took you to the cross. May our lives be a worthy response. In Jesus' name. Amen.